Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. Today, we're going to talk some USC football. We have Dan Weber, uh, uscfootball.com, writer and columnist, talking all about football, fall camp, lots going on in fall camp. We'll find out who's going to win the starting quarterback job this weekend. So much to get to, and we have tons of questions from you. If you have any questions, send us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can leave a voicemail by calling 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail right from your computer or device. You can subscribe on iTunes, itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. Uh, we're on Google Play. We're on Audio Boom, We're on Stitcher Radio. A lot of ways to, get a, to download, subscribe consume the peristyle podcast we've been doing it since 2008 hope you guys enjoy it we had harvey hyde earlier in the week uh got a little crazy with the practice schedule but we wanted to get dan on before the end of the week so here is dan weber the aforementioned dan weber what's up dan how are you pretty good uh hard to believe we're within uh two practices of the uh, big uh you know quarterback d-day and uh and uh depth chart d-day and uh, need, or should we say, uh, salute to Troy. We <laughs> hope no D-Day. Yeah, two years in a row, if people don't remember. Josh Shaw, two years ago at salute to Troy fiasco. And, of course, the Sark fiasco uh, from last year. So all I, all, I do, all I hope is I'm not in the media room and I hear this phrase, which I think I said a year ago. Did he really just say what I thought he said? <laughs> and then there's a big quiet in the media room, and everybody says, no, nah, I don't think he said it. And then he said it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? Yeah. And so <laughs> if people don't know, Salute to Troy, uh, it's not a media event. It's an alumni event. It's a booster event. Um, it's a, you know, a fan event. So – and that'll be Friday. They practice, and then after practice, uh, they'll have the salute to Troy event. So we're usually not there. Sometimes we'll go in there, but it's not as ever as a media status kind of thing. We're not interviewing players or coaches or anything like that. It's it's more of just yeah. A barbecue. It's not on the record, you know. It's not an on the record thing. It's a you know kind of a family thing, and uh, you know the Trojan family, and so uh, you know we're not there to cover it. No. <laughs> so if someone like if a coach went up there and said, you know. Hey, we we're really gonna kill UCLA tomorrow. It's not something you would go and oh report that and put it out there. And but when it was something as big as last year, it was that was definitely gonna get out. <laughs> you couldn't avoid it. I mean, actually, for those who think the media looking for sensation, we're really all sitting there. And I kind of knew what what the first comment was, but most of the rest of the guys said. And, and gals and whoever was in there said, oh, I don't think he really said that. <laughs> and so nobody really wanted to go with it right away. And then by the end of the night, there wasn't anything you could do but, you know, uh, accept the reality of, of what was going on. 
okay, so we have a lot of questions to get to, Dan. And just want to let people know, tons and tons of information up on uscfootball.com. So I know a lot of, of our podcast uh, listeners are also members, subscribers to uscfootball.com. Uh, if you missed anything, go under the More tab. It says Fall Camp Central. That's where you want to go. We have all of our stories. And we're actually, if you're not a member and you've been listening to the podcast and you like what we do, you can be a member uh, really inexpensively for $9.95 for paying for one month. You'll get the entire season. So they'll give you three months free added on to your membership only until Friday. So Friday at midnight, West Coast time. So definitely go check it yeah. out. If you have any questions, you can email me. But go on there. It's our flash sale. Um, three months free. You know, four months for the price of one. Get the whole season for 10 bucks. Uh, it's, it's really cool. You can go on the Peristyle, which is our, the biggest USC message board on the planet. Uh, busiest stuff there. A lot of insiders are posting information there. Share your thoughts. It's a really an awesome deal. You'll get everything. All the recruiting stuff, all the team stuff, photos, podcasts. We, we put everything up there. So definitely check it out. And uh, it's a great time to do that. So you only have until Friday. So hopefully you're getting the show early enough that you can jump on there, go on the flash though. If you sign up for a monthly membership before Friday, um, they'll give you, we'll add on the extra time. So you'll get all the way through December, uh, for 10 bucks. And if you're, if you're currently a monthly member and you want to upgrade to an annual membership, we'll actually add the three months on there for you as well. So, um, a lot of opportunities out there, Dan, for the USC fans to get the inside scoop on what's going on. Yeah. And they get the war room and they also get, uh, you know, just, if you got a question, uh, I'll try to answer it. You'll try to, Ryan, I'll try to answer it. If you just put it, you know, cause there are, there are so many questions. If there's something that you don't remember seeing answered or, or something's changing or whatever, ask us and we'll give you our best shot. Uh, so, you know, do that on the Peristyle. Yeah. Peristyle is great for that. And like Dan said, the war room every Friday morning, it's the best stuff. You have to check that out if you haven't. Um, but yeah, it's a great opportunity. You get a seven day free trial. As soon as your card's charged, they'll add three free months on for you. So it's an awesome deal. Go check it out. And the Peristyle is a great way to interact with other USC fans. It's the busiest USC message board out there. So definitely check it out. Um, all right. So let's jump in because we have so many questions, uh, this weekend. A lot of people are curious about what's going on. You know, the big thing is this weekend, uh, the announcement. So Stephen Poway wrote in, as we await Sunday's announcement of the two deep roster, do you think Clay is waiting too long to make the announcement? In particular, does this leave enough time? for the first-team offense to get uh, to gel before the Alabama game. I keep hearing how far behind the offense is compared to the defense. Could this be due to the quarterback competition dragging on too long? I don't think so. I, I think the defense is ahead because the defense is ahead. Clancy is, uh, you know, I think it's easier to get the defense up to speed uh, and literally up to speed. Uh, he's made it really simple. He's got a lot of athletes. I think they're responding really well. To what he's asking them to do, uh, I think one of the best comments I've, I've seen uh, is one of the guys said last year, year before, if you're out there on defense, you had to think it's this or that, depending on whatever happened, you know, from, from the other side of the football. And the guys this year say it's just this. We know what we're doing. We're going to do it. We're going to do it fast. So they put the you know offense under a lot of pressure. I think that's a really good thing in the long run. And I think maybe in years past, they would have called off the dogs a little bit on the defense and say, maybe slow down, not so many blitzes, let us do this and let us do that. And, uh, and Clancy said, you know, Clay, you know, basically said, go get them. 
and, and get the defense as, you know, up to speed as you can possibly do it. And we're going to have to adjust on the offense. And with two quarterbacks, they've got a little bit of different skill sets and they do run a little bit of different stuff when they're in there. And so there are some adjustments. And I think in the long run, again, that's a good thing. And it might not give us the best scrimmage in the world that we wanted to see on Monday. But, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, two weeks with your quarterback will be plenty, uh, I think, to get ready for Alabama. You got a, you know, a, a mock game week and then a, and then a game week. And, uh, I think they've, I think they've done a pretty good job of getting this team where it needs to be right now. All right. Um, let's move on because we've got so many. Neil in Manila. We love Neil. Uh, do you guys think that USC has reverted back to the way they were last year? Underutilized tight ends, sloppy offensive line pay, play, penalties, and a lack of identity. It seems even these coaches couldn't help. And how do you think they're going to fix this uh, as Alabama is getting closer? I appreciate you guys going to practice every single day and having time to make uh, the podcast even through your hectic schedule. Thanks and fight on. Neil and Manila. Well, uh, you know, I think it's probably a really good thing they didn't play Alabama Monday, but I think it's probably a good thing for Alabama, too. I guarantee you Alabama was, was not anywhere near where, you know, they wanted to be, uh, you know, this past Monday. So, I mean, I think getting that stuff out and, and, and figuring out what you got to do and what, where you have to be, it tells you, tells me, you know, that they're putting them under pressure and they're making them perform. You know, it wasn't a, one of those, uh, you know, deals, uh, uh, a little worrisome, maybe a couple of the penalties, uh, we haven't seen any of the false starts, false starts and things like that. So, uh, I didn't like that. Some of it was basically, you know, first time out for the Pac-12 officials and any contact on a thrown ball got, drew a fly. And that's not a, you know, again, they, they're, you know, getting, you know, into their, preseason form for the Pac-12. I think, uh, as we noted, one of the uh, USC people on the sideline kept saying, high school, high school, high school. And uh, as we said, well, that means those are real Pac-12 officials out there. So, uh, uh, so that, you know, I, I would say a little bit of that, not a lot of that uh, on the penalties. This team, I think, is going to be a pretty good uh, team in terms of precision and, 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 and not penalties. you got to get the snaps squared away I think and, and some of that probably is uh, you've got a couple of guys like Stevie Tui Kalavatu and Khalil Rogers pounding on their center and again you know they're not taking it easy on them but I think that gets them ready more so for Alabama than they would have been if you wouldn't have had somebody pounding on them uh, as far as the coaches and the tight ends I asked Clay about that yesterday I think he had a really good answer in the spring Basically, they saw a lot of, uh, a lot of too high, uh, defense from the secondary. A more standard, you know, standard look with the two safeties. And, uh, and, uh, that made it so they could throw the tight end a lot. Uh, and you'll see probably more of that during the year than the other way. But now, you're seeing a lot more of the single, you know, one high safety, which doesn't give you you know, the opportunity, uh, to throw the ball to the tight end as much. And they're not forcing it to the tight end. Uh, I do think, uh, when they, you know, get into the season, I think when the tight end is there, they're going to take it. But I like the idea that they're taking what is there. They're not saying we're going to do this no matter what. So I think that's a, that's a move forward and an upgrade. Uh, I thought the, 
wide receivers got a little more separation in the last couple of days. I like that. Uh, so I think they're moving in the right direction, and I think they've got time to get there two and a half weeks. But, you know, this is kind of a new, you know, it's kind of an experiment. You know, first-time offensive coordinator, uh, first-time head coach going against, you know, the best defense and the best program in the country. So uh, we'll see. Yeah. Well, speaking of tight ends, Bill and Plano wrote and said, there were rumblings last week about upcoming practices focusing more on three tight end sets, sort of an elephant package, if you will, uh, from which to run the ball more. Has there been any of that? Well, there's been more of a of different kinds of, of, of jumbo packages. And I think, I'm not sure if Clay was completely exactly telling it like it is when he was saying maybe some of that was reflecting the kind of stuff they're going to see from Alabama and Stanford. And, you know, not wanting to make it really clear, uh, you know, that that would also be stuff. And we, I asked him and he said, yeah, that's stuff we're going to do too. I think we've seen in the last couple of days a little more emphasis on power running, the power running game, having uh, multiple tight ends. You might have one, uh, you know, a regular tight end set, and then you'll have a tight end offset, you know, kind of like a wing back uh, uh, on the same side. And so, or you'll bring, uh, you know, a tight end, especially in motion, to get them to the point of attack. Uh, so I think we're going to see more of that. I think yesterday, I think the first team in the first 11 on 11 ran uh, seven straight running plays. So I think, uh, I think, I think they're going to live up to the run first, uh, run it when even they know you're going to have to run it. We have to be the kind of team to do that. I also think, the move of Zach Banner back to the right side uh, uh, to be next to Vianney, I think that gives them a really formidable power run game to the right side, and and I like that look too. So yeah, I think I think we're starting to see it, uh, but it's not something you know they want the whole world to know exactly, uh, you know what they're doing, what they're going to do, uh, and how they're uh, how they're going to approach the Alabama game. Tarek had a question. He said, do you see Osa Messina starting at will with Powell subbing in or vice versa? I'm not, I don't know how that's going to go. I see four or five of those guys playing. Um, but I, I, it's, I think it's interesting. I mean, we saw Kim, Kim Smith and Michael Hutchings in there together the other day. Uh, so I think they're kind of mixing and matching those guys. And I think it's, uh, you know, kind of which, you know, pairing works better and, and what can they do out of, out of different pairings other than Cameron Smith, who, you know, if he's held, if they decide he's a hundred percent healthy, no limitations, no blah, blah, blah. He's got to be your starter. But, uh, you also think that they really like what they're seeing out of Michael Hutchins. I mean, leadership and and coverage and all that kind of thing so you may see guys in there in positions maybe that you don't think they're exactly listed for right now i think it's kind of a fluid situation let's go to sc and dc we're getting through this pretty quick good job dan um because there's so many regarding the quarterback competition between brown and darnold much is being made of their different skill sets, which seem to boil down to Darnold being the better runner and Brown having a firmer command of the offense. Brown may never uh, be the athlete Darnold is, but are the coaches working uh, 
with him to maximize his athleticism so that he can be a credible threat to execute the occasional quarterback draw or on design runs. Kessler wasn't a great runner, but was effective the precious few times he scrambled. If Brown is a starter, I hope he'll be coached to use his wheels to keep defenses honest, even if he's not a dual-threat guy that Darnold is. Your thoughts? Thanks for the podcast and all the content. Fight on. Beat the Tide, SC and DC. Yeah, I think we've seen three or four times this fall uh, with uh, Max taking off. I mean, and, and Clay, you know, he had the same thought I did. He said, you know, uh, the first time he did it, he said, that's the fastest I've ever seen him run. Uh, he took off the other day on a scramble situation, and you had to check twice and say, is that Sam or is that Max? Well, it was Max. But um, but he's, and I think I in the, in the ghost notes wrote, I'm thinking he's getting inspired by uh, by Sam's ability to to take off. I mean, the one big difference is you can run the read option with Sam, and there's a real good chance he won't keep it. And and if you you know bring everybody down on the running back, you know Sam is is pretty big threat. That's probably not going to happen with Max. Uh, but other than that, I think Max is uh, scrambling his has very much improved, and I think this competition is a big part of that. Uh, so, so we're, yes, we're seeing that, and that's a good observation. Uh, we had a couple people, Dan, write in about Deontay Burnett. Um, Neil Manila wrote in, too, and uh, our buddy um, Brian from Birmingham, who actually sent in a photo of his office, which had like a bunch of USC stuff in there. Uh, a picture of a little baby, it looked like. So, Brian, uh, you know, congratulations and all that, but it was cool, cool-looking office. Sorry, we can't share that on the podcast because this is an audio medium, but I got to see the photo, so it was cool. Um, so Brian from Birmingham checking in, SC fan in SEC country. It's been a while since I contacted the show, but I've been tuning in. Got a question for you and Dan. I keep hearing good things about Deontay Burnett. Do you think it's time to give him a chance over Stephen Mitchell? Juju's going to be double this season, but with another solid wide receiver like Burnett, it would pose a major matchup uh, problem for opposing teams. Thanks as always. Go Trojans, Brian and Brian. Yeah, I've always. Uh, I guess we could we could call him Coach Brian, uh, Coach Brian in Birmingham. There, uh, uh, that would be uh, uh, maybe uh, add the Bear moniker there, and uh, I, I bet those Alabama fans would would like to hear from Coach Brian at USC. Uh, I like. I love Don, Deontay. He's a tough kid. He's up to 173 pounds now. He's really athletic. He's uh, got terrific body control and probably the best hands on the team. Uh, and, and you know, Adore has always said that, you know, he was the single toughest guy for him to cover in high school at Sarah when they went against each other. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, you want them all to get a chance. And you don't want them to get down on, on Steven, um, you know, for some you know, misplays and things like that. But uh, you want it to be, you know, just a full-out competition. And uh, I, you know, if it were me, I, I would like to throw the ball to Deontay because I think he can really go up and get it. He can get it in traffic. He doesn't seem to be bothered, you know, when he, he's batted around. And I think he showed the other day in the scrimmage when he caught it and then made the, the dive into the end zone, you know, beat a couple of defenders, that uh, he's got a real instinct. Uh, we haven't you know, had a chance to see him do, do that that much. But uh, there's not a lot not to like, you know, about Deontay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I I want him to, get, you know, give him a chance. Doesn't necessarily say, 
you know, something negative about, about Steven. I just think Deontay, you know, deserves a chance. Okay, let's uh, move on. We have a question from John. He says, love the podcast. Always uh, enjoy keeping up with the latest news about USC football. Well, thanks, John. From what you've seen in practice and or heard from the coaches, will the USC offense continue with the no huddle? For the past several years, it appears that the players uh, stand around between plays while the quarterback looks to the sideline trying to get to see the play call. Don't see how it was improving place of play, pace of play, or communication for the offense. Would love to see a return to the huddle. Been following and going to USC games since 1970. Thanks and fight on. John in South Pasadena, USC MBA class of 1991. Hey, John, I, I think people are going to be happy who want to see the huddle because they're going to huddle. And I think people will be happy who want to see the no huddle because they're going to run that too. I think they want to be a team that can use tempo when it's to their advantage. For example, I think they, they might think that playing Alabama and Stanford, two teams that really don't like tempo and don't run tempo, might be a time to use tempo and, and not huddle. And then there might be other times where you've got teams that are just absolutely all out, you know, in Arizona, Oregon, whatever. Maybe you're better off huddling and, uh, and, and putting the game into a tempo that favors you, not them. So, uh, so I think you'll see both. And I think they wanted to, you know, Tyson Helton has made it clear. They want to be a team that can do both. So, uh, so we'll, you'll see that. That's an interesting, when you're looking at how that Alabama game is going to go, I'll be real interested in what does USC choose to do when they come out with the ball the first time? And do they line up and just really go after, you know, very quickly, uh, this Alabama defense? Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Speaking of the Alabama game, because that's obviously a hot topic, Big Gene wrote in. He said, Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin, just may be the smartest man in the room when it comes to offense. He will start the dual threat freshman quarterback with a strong arm who can run, causing USC fits, while Helton will go with the logic and safe choice, Max Brown, who plays right into the hands of an Alabama defense which strides on stationary and slow-footed quarterbacks. That's Big Gene. More of a statement, I guess, than a question, Dan. I'll get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I guess uh you got uh, Gene's got the uh, plot line already written, and uh, that's a good one. We'll see. Uh, you know, I guess it could blow up, and people could say, "Why did you start that freshman? He's never he hadn't played a game, and all that pressure, and blah blah blah." And the first two interceptions were bad enough, but then he fumbled, and what the heck was he thinking? Now, you know, maybe we'll get this will get us ready for the SEC schedule. I mean, that's another way you could look at that and say, "Wow, that other team they went with their veteran, or they went with their." There's, you know, a guy who was safe and he didn't turn the ball over at all and they just kept driving us crazy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So I think you can flip, flip the, flip the plot line there either way you want to go with that one right yeah. now. Cause we don't know enough. We don't, I, mean, I, I think that kid's a terrific athlete, that freshman quarterback. Uh, is he ready to play a quarterback? I mean, at Alabama, they're not sure sometimes if their seniors are ready to play, uh, <laughs> quarterback. So that's asking a lot. Yeah. But the kid's a terrific athlete. There's no doubt about that. Um, here's John. He said, this question is for you, Dan. I noticed that A.P. Stedman was uh, from BamaMag.com was at USC's fall camp interviewing the coaches. His favorite question is, how do you <laughs> feel about playing in a US, an SEC team? 
Uh, based on what yeah. you've seen from USC in full pads, what percentage odds do you give USC of beating Alabama, not your average SEC team, by the way, and sending AP Stedman back to Tuscaloosa along with his smug attempts at creating bulletin board material? Based on everything I've heard on ESPN and other national outlets, this would be the greatest upset in football history, college football history, which means the Trojans are in pretty good shape. Thanks for your time. Beat the tide, John and Brea. By the way, uh, AP is a really good guy. Uh, he, I mean, basically, if you come all the way out to, you know, LA, and I know he had family out here and was visiting and what have you, but if you kind of do you know, go through all the trouble, you really do need to get USC on record, uh, you know, about, uh, what they think about playing an SEC team. And a big part of that is that if kids, for example, you ask me, I would say, well, you know, I guess the reason that's an interesting question is, for the last decade, the SEC has avoided USC like the plague. They have refused to play USC. They hoped in the BCS system, their absolute hope was, please, dear Lord, if we get there, do not let the other team be USC. So there is an interest in USC playing an SEC team because of that. I mean, it's because of the SEC figured out how to game the BCS system and decided we're not going home and home. We're not going to do all that stuff with, uh, you know, with USC. The, the downside after seeing what happened to a really good Auburn team two years in a row and a pretty darn good Arkansas team two years in a row, they basically said, you know, that time zone, I don't know, we get back to campus so late after the game on the West Coast, our kids will miss study hall the next day. And that's really difficult, you know, when our kids miss study hall. You know, it was that kind of thing. So, but the USC kids mostly just said, <laughs> when they asked about playing an SEC team, they said, what do you think about that? And the general answer was, not much. I'm not thinking about it all that much. You know, Dory said, hey, you got good teams everywhere. Big 12, you know, Big 10's got good teams. The, uh, you know, Pac-12's got good teams. He said, you know, they're a good team. And, uh, so I don't think there was quite that, you know, and, and when you're asking a USC program that you know, plays Notre Dame every year, uh, you know, his kind of over history, you know, USC, I mean, imagine they didn't have to go into Alabama in 1970 and, uh, you know, John McKay did. And, uh, you know, you, you go back and look at USC's schedule over the years and they've always been willing to go play those games in the SEC. So it's not such a big deal for USC, although I think if you're an SEC, per, for, uh, SEC person and you look at the game, that's a big deal. They haven't played one like that in a long, long time. So, so I can see why he would ask the question. I don't know that he got the answers, you know, that he was hoping for. Um, and speaking of, I, I think Keeley shot a video or two with you and AP talking about USC and Alabama. Is that correct? Well, I, I think she Yeah, we got probably. 25 minutes of uh, video previews, uh, uh, much more specifically about the game itself and, uh, you know, the players we think are going to really matter and how they're going to approach the game from both sides. So I think Keeley's going to put that up, and it's going to run on, on both our site and the uh, Bama Mag, uh, the scout site in Alabama. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Cool. All right. So, yeah, I think Keeley's uploaded the offensive one, so I'll try to get that up today before practice. So. Check that out on uscfootball.com. It's like 13 or 14 minutes long, and then there'll be another one for defense after that. 
Um, right. Sergeant Rodney Strong, U.S. Army. He's in Fort Lewis, Washington. Uh, he says, hey, boys, thanks for the quick uh, and on-point answer to my question. He has a question this week. He had two questions. One about the quarterback situation, which we talked about a lot. Uh, the other one is how the defensive line situation looks. Um, with the added depth on the line, do our boys look like they have grown and will be a force this season? Thanks again and fight on, uh, Sergeant Rodney. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried to tell people that. I don't know that everybody believes you because they, they, you know, they wanted Stevie to be an All-American at Utah, and that doesn't. And if he's not, that doesn't. You know, maybe he's not Leonard Williams or whatever. But he's really good. I mean, they're stunned at how good he is, and uh, his decision to come to USC was more a case of they've got three or four really good defensive linemen at Utah. And he wanted to be at a place where they really needed him and he could really show what he could do in this, his last year. He's 25 years old. He wants to go to the NFL. Uh, I think the thing that, that has shocked everyone, you know, we knew he was thick and big and strong, 6'1". I'm guessing he's 325 right now. Uh, and that would be the, the low guess. Um, and, and he would be tough to move and, and, you know, maybe demand a double team. I think what surprised everybody is how good his hands and feet are and that he can get to the quarterback on his own, that he's just got that kind of quickness. And uh, and then you throw Khalil Rogers in there. He's probably right at, as he said, I think 320-ish. Uh, he looks bigger and stronger. He always had kind of a, a defensive lineman's mentality, uh, kind of a quick, quick twitch, a uh, little violent, you know, uh, uh, attitude and uh he's loving it uh with the switch from offense and so adding those two i think has made a tremendous difference you still got malik dorton who's kind of a 280 pound linebacker he came in as a linebacker got you know quick feet good technique uh you know maybe on the smallest side for a defensive lineman you got rasheem green at you know six five and 280 on the other side kind of a leaned out uh, kind of a, a young Leonard Williams-looking type, uh, maybe like Leonard first day he got to USC uh, in terms of physique, but some real talent there. And and you're seeing a guy like Liam Jimmons and and uh, Christian Rector, those two, you know, that have kind of you know got new-looking bodies now and big, strong, strong guys. So you know, with the uh, uncertainty about Noah Jefferson, Jacob Daniel. I think it's really been a you know blessing to have uh, guys that you know you maybe weren't thinking about like you know Rector and Jimin. Uh, look like they're uh, you know they're comfortable you know in the rotation or on that second group, and so I think it's, it's a much more positive attitude. It's a much more mature group with the addition of Stevie, age 25, and Khalil, who's been around the block with nine starts. Uh, changes the whole. Uh, attitude in the defensive lineman room uh, and just their whole approach to things. And uh, uh, that, that's really a plus, uh, Sergeant. That's, uh, I think you, you would probably understand that, what it's like to have some real uh, mature veterans and some tough guys, uh, you know, in your unit. Yeah, thanks, Sergeant. Thanks for your service and the question. Um, we're rolling along. we still got a bunch more, but great work, Dan. Uh, he said, so this is, this is another Dan. Uh, great reports uh, on fall practice from you, Dan, and Coach Hyde. Uh, uh, in the over 100-year history of Trojan football, only four coaches, Howard Jones, John McKay, 
John Robinson and Pete Carroll have won national championship. It's all about the coaching. Do you, Dan, or uh, see anything in Clay Helton that would lead any of you to believe that this will be that he will be the fifth national championship coach? It took John McKay and Pete Carroll three years to get to the championship level, while Jones and Robinson inherited good squads. Also, we should count this year as Clay Helton's uh, first of three years because he inherited a mess. Uh, thanks, as always, for the reports and fight on. Dan, class of 1962. Say, Dan, uh, you know, I think it's interesting when you can say only four coaches in our history have won national championships. Do you know what they would do at Oregon if you could say that? Or <laughs> UCLA? Or uh, there are a whole lot of places. LSU. I mean, some really good programs. And, and to have, and that, you know, that bugs people a little bit. And, and they were all different kinds. When you looked at John McKay, what was he, four and six and five and whatever, the first two years, didn't have a winning record. And they had to talk the president into not firing him. And the third year, he wins the national, national championship. So, you know, you, you just never know, I mean, uh, about some of these things. And, um, I really like, you know, the staff he's put together. I like the way they're going about things. You gotta like Clay personally. I mean, he's just, you know, just a terrific guy and exactly what the program needed at this point in time. Uh, how well does that translate on the field and, and against the schedule that USC's got this year? I don't think, you know, we can't possibly, uh, you know, predict that. I mean, I don't know if you gave that schedule to Ohio State and Urban Meyer. Uh, what would what would your prediction be? I mean, if you flip things around and gave it to Nick Saban in Alabama, what would your prediction be? You know, I mean, who wants to go to Stanford one week, two weeks after you've played Alabama, and then five, six days later you're playing Utah in Salt Lake City? Nobody would do that. So how does that all play out? I don't know. They've got enough talent to compete. I, I think legitimately when you see the listings of the teams with the most talent, this USC team is a f- top five talent team in the country. Uh, you know, obviously the problem is Alabama is a top one, you know, talent team in the country. <laughs> but USC's got more talent than, you know, anybody in the Pac-12. So, you know, how do you handle, I mean, I think, you know, the turnaround season with Pete Carroll, they handled really tough losses, a couple of uh, very tough losses. Games they probably shouldn't have lost. And then they, you know, ran off, uh, you know, ended up winning the Pac-12, going to the, you know, uh, they didn't win the Pac-12. They ended up in the top four, which allowed them, you know, to go to the Orange Bowl and, and play Iowa. And uh, that got things going. You know, that team rallied. They stuck together and all that. And Pete had the ability to do that. And that's the kind of thing uh we won't know that until we see how it all plays out. Uh, but uh, they've got a chance. I don't know that you can ask for anything more than, than they've got a chance. Uh, I think Clay, if you had to put their resumes together, Clay certainly comes in with a better resume in terms of who should be the head coach than, say, you know, John McKay did. Uh, not Howard Jones. With Pete, I don't know, you know, there were as many people that didn't like Pete's resume as did. He's never been a, you know, college head coach and, and, uh, I don't think people really understood what had happened with him in the NFL. Uh, John Robinson, you know, was, was an assistant, but, um, you know, 
so I don't think Clay is a mismatch that way uh, so much. You know, he might be a mismatch against, you know, the the guys that if you paid seven or eight million dollars salary to, you could have brought brought in and maybe from the NFL. But uh, but I think, you know, right now, I think it's kind of where you want it to be. And, and all the speculation on that isn't going to do us any good because this is, you know, it's going to play out and we'll find out. All right. We have a question from David. Um, let's see. He said, I had a question about the number 43. I know that Lane Kiffin said that you have to earn certain numbers. One was for All-American DBs and wide receivers after Mike Williams. Five is still in limbo because of the NCAA. We all know about number 55. Can you elaborate on Helton's opinion on the issuing of numbers? Why haven't we seen a 43 since Kalupka Mayava last war in 2008? It seems like it's an amazing recruiting tactic going to waste. We uh, Going to waste. We want you to wear Troy Palomalu's number. Thanks and fight on from Dave. I really, I hate the numbers game. I hate it because <laughs> you end up giving numbers to high school kids. I mean, uh, it's just, it's, it, that isn't why you should come to USC. You know, you're not probably going to be Mike Williams. I'm sorry. You know, and I give number 43 to somebody. Who the heck is going to be Troy Polamalu? You're not going to be Troy Polamalu. You know, you want to give, I mean, I'm not saying you don't give him that number. It's just, I let the number thing play out. I understand the single digit maybe, you know, as a somewhat of a recruiting, you know, kind of a tool, but, if it goes past that, that's just to me is, you know, look, you haven't done anything. Please don't buy into the, you know, I mean, we're all part of this world where everybody gets analyzed and hyped and interviewed and blown up as high school guys. And, uh, you know, before they've done that thing and, you know, in college, but, uh, uh, and, and, and there's probably no way you can avoid that at this point. That it is what it is. But you probably don't have to play into it, add to it, and throw, you know, Troy Polamalu's number on some high school kid. I'm sorry. Yeah, not going to be Troy Polamalu, no matter what you do. I'm sorry. It's just, and so, I don't know. And I, which I, is one of the reasons I wasn't crazy about giving Lamar Dawson 55. I mean, he got a, you know, he, he, he was in the wrong system, playing the wrong place with the wrong coach asked to do the wrong thing, and here they got him in number 55, you know, this quiet kid from Johnson City, you know, Kentucky. And I just didn't think that, I think that was fair to Lamar. And so, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not big on that, and I wouldn't, I would not go there. Yeah, and some people don't even realize, like, other numbers, like 35 for, for Cam Smith, that was a big number, like Jeff Kopp and, Scott Ross and a bunch of USC linebackers wore it. They kind of switched over to punters, and it, you know it could be cyclical and you know things change. But I I, don't, I try not to get too hyped up on all the the numbers and stuff too. So, well, I mean, I really didn't like the way it played out with Lang because then you give it to somebody and you have to take it away from him. Yeah, come on, no, don't do that. Just don't go there. You know, the number is the number. You know, if the kid says, "I'd really like this number, my number in high school or whatever," that's great. You got it, you know. I mean, I think Lane has or Clay has really gone away from that. You know, discouraging. I know maybe Adoree's thinking about. Can I ask for number twenty-one now? That was my high school number. Nah, keep two. That's your number. That's the number you've made your number at USC. 
just keep two, you know, and let the other guys, you know, like Cam Smith, keep 35. That's the number you made at USC. You don't need to take somebody else's number. Yeah. Uh, uh, keep 35. That's you. That's who we know. You know, that's your number. And I think Clay is on the right side of this issue when he sits his kids down and says, you know, this is kind of how I do it. And uh, I really agree. Uh, Paul wrote in. He said, and I'll try to do this right. Hello, Dan. And he said, I'm trying to do my best impression of Ryan. Luckily, you had Ryan reading the question, so uh, I can do a pretty good impression of me. He said, I've read where NFL teams send scout to watch, scouts to watch USC's practices. My question is why? Can you explain what a scout is looking for that he couldn't see in a much more competitive environment such as a real game? Paul and Santa think, Clarita. Paul, I think you see actual size. I mean, you know, teams might only uh, measure kids in their cleats, for example, uh, and, and and we find, you know, the weights aren't exactly as, as in the program. And, and some of the teams that, you know, depend on program weights ended up, or program heights ended up getting fooled. And, you know, uh, there are things you can see watching the quarterbacks warm up with their, uh, their setup and their, just their general arm strength. You get to see them maybe make a hundred throws. Uh, you're not going to get to see that in the game. You might go to a game and you wouldn't get to see them throw a deep out once, for example. Or you maybe get to throw, you know, one or two deep play actions. But, you know, is that enough to, to really have a sense of, of, you know, what kind of arm you're looking at? Uh, and I just think if, if you're, you're the kind of guy that really gets football, being on the field, and watching those guys run by you, you really get a sense of what you're looking at. You just, there's just something about being there and, uh, and seeing them up close and personal that you don't get anywhere else. I mean, it's, uh, it's why, you know, you go to games. It's, it's what you're going to be looking for when you see USC and Alabama line up. It's what you're going to, you know, how do they match up when they're really, you know, on the field together? Um, and it's, it's a whole different world than, you know, the videotape matchup. And, uh, so yeah, I, uh, I, I would certainly, uh, think if I'm a scout, I want to, I want to see these guys in person. Um, uh, absolutely. I mean, there's just a way watching guys, especially big guys, watching them pick up their feet. How, what kind of feet do they have? You may not always see that or get a sense of that on video. And one of the problems with football is you tend to look as good as the people you're playing aren't very good, let's say. Um, whereas in practice, you get to see them, you know, kind of in a neutral environment where, you know, it's, you're not biased by the people they're playing against. You're just seeing them. And, um, and I like that. Uh, so, no, I, I, I really big on seeing them in person. Yeah, Paul. I mean, Dan gave some great reasons. There's a million more. I mean, there's, if you're a scout, I mean, that's your job. So you're not going to limit yourself to, well, I'm only going to look at games because that's competitive. I mean, that's that's just silly, to be honest. I mean, if you want to be out yeah. of practice, you get to walk around. You get to talk to support staff about, oh, what's uh, so what was Juju like? Well, he just, he, I mean, he got straight A's this semester. I mean, you find out information about the guys. You get to see them in person. Uh, there's so many different ways of just coming to practice. And what are you going to be doing anyway, like in, you know, in, uh, in August? Are you going to be golfing or something? <laughs> well, and or the other gonna... thing, if you watch games, say, you know, you're looking at Adoree. Teams may decide, we're not, I mean, the way we've seen Adoree this fall, 
teams may decide we're not going to throw there. I mean, the heck with that. He's he's got to have as good a chance of coming up with the football as our guy does. So you go to a game or you watch it on film, and you don't see Adoree get to do much because they avoid him. And so in practice, you know, you're going to get to see him make lots of plays uh, in lots of different situations uh, and, and places on the field, uh, you know, and in drills and all that kind of thing that you won't get to see in games. So you, you really got to be there. And I think it's a lot like recruiting too, Dan. You don't like the USC coaches or coaches from Alabama. They don't just watch high school football games. They host camps on their, on their own campus. They, you know, they check out film from seven on seven and, you know, practice, you know, even going to practices. There's a lot of evaluation that goes on. I think on the recruiting world, if you only looked at high school games, I mean, that's just such a small portion of what everyone does. I mean, that, we're busy all summer. Cover. I mean, there's seven on seven camps every weekend and, and college camps and they're doing new, new camps that are satellite camps and stuff. Like, well, why wouldn't you, know, you could say the same thing? Well, why wouldn't college coaches just watch the high school games? What do you need to see besides that? Well, there's a lot more you want to see. Well, and the biggest question I always had was, how good is that team this guy's playing against, especially in line play? I mean, you just, it's so hard, you know, to evaluate if you really don't have a sense of, how good are those guys he's playing against? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's really the hardest thing to do, um, you know, in, in evaluating high school talent is who are they playing against? Yeah. Sorry, Paul, I didn't mean to like jump on you or anything, but just, you know, just oh, no, to, no, there's a lot, question. you know, there's a lot to, to be gained from that. Uh, we got a few more, man. Uh, John, who is a former player, class of 1972, John D. He says, listening to the podcast, it doesn't sound too promising about the upcoming season. Huh. Uh, do you ever talk with Coach Helton about what you see as a third party? Uh, John D., class of 1972. Every once in a while. I mean, Clay's very approachable. And Clay will come, you know, the other day when he uh, finished talking to the booster group uh, after practice, and uh, as is usually the case, uh, USCfootball.com were the, last, were the last people on the field uh, finishing up instant analysis. And, uh, as he came over, he said, you guys see, you guys see us, you know, you've seen us all these years. What do you think? How do we look, you know, uh, you know, in terms of this year compared to other years and all that? Clay's a, he's really open, open guy. And, and there are ways of communicating with Clay or, uh, that are possible that, that might not, uh, you know, be possible in other situations. And, and, and Clay's, We'll follow up. I mean, he will say, oh, that's, that's, and some of those are not directly from us, but might be through other people. But, uh, he's, uh, he's very, uh, very much approachable and very much thinks about, you know, all the things you have to think about. And he, he listens to a lot of people and he's lucky. He's obviously got his dad, you know, who was a, you know, big time, uh, you know, NFL coach and college guy, coach Marcus Allen, you know, and so that's uh, Kim Helton who really knows an awful lot about football. He's got his younger brother, Tyson. He's got a lot of people just, you know, in his own family. And I think he's been a guy that's, you know, always been willing to listen and think about, you know, listen and think about things. And, yeah, did they pay attention to stuff we say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, we're not, not bragging there, but you can hear stuff we say come back, <laughs> you know. And, uh, only because it's probably right. Uh, 
and and that's a good thing. And nothing, you know, that's uh, that's a very good thing. And uh, and and we we have to be careful. We don't know the whole the whole game plan, the whole fall camp plan. We're not in the meetings. We're not seeing the film. So you want to be measured in terms of what you say you know you're seeing, but you do want to take that shot. Um, you know, when you get it. And, uh, you know, like yeah, asking Clay yesterday about, you know, we saw the tight ends a lot in the spring. We saw them throwing, you know, the ball a lot in the summer. We're not seeing it much in the fall. You know, what, what exactly is going on? And it gave Clay a chance to explain, you know, his thinking there. And, uh, and you know, had a good answer. But uh, it was one we did not know exactly what the thinking was. Uh, uh, before we asked the question and had that, you know, back and forth with Clay. I think you could probably hear that more with Clay than maybe some other coaches. Uh, he's, uh, he's more confident about where he is and he does, he's not on the defensive so much, uh, uh, as we've seen, you know, in, in the past, in recent past year. He's kind of, uh, you know, fairly comfortable with, uh, how he's doing things and who he is and what he, what he wants this team to do, and, and, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, we had Reggie write in. He's got a little uh, a little animosity, I think, going on, Reggie. But I'll read you what he says. Uh, it starts off, he says, Hey, Ryan, boy, I have to admit the way you plug those Mac Weldon boxers really has me wanting to give them a try. 20% off doesn't hurt. Well, thanks, Reggie. You can try MacWeldon.com. Use the promo code Parastyle. You get 20% off. He says, His question is, I understand it's the job of the media to get as much information on the team as possible. My concern is if the coaches and the team show everything, no doubt you will be reporting everything, and anyone with a computer would have access to that info. I'm certain that Bama has scouts monitoring the podcast and USC news sites. Uh, you sometimes prod the players for info, and I'm sure the coaches have advised the players not to give away the game plan. Is there nothing sacred? Do you report everything you see, or do you leave some things out? Uh, and then here's a second part of it, but I'll let you talk about that first. Yeah, no, we don't. I mean, it, the, the understanding is, and we have more access than almost anybody in the country, certainly any of the top programs, nobody has the access we do. And we understand that. We respect it. Uh, uh, we are allowed to report injuries. A lot of places you're not allowed to report injuries. Uh, if they, if they happen, you're supposed to talk to the coach about them, not the players. Uh, but, uh, uh, do not. Uh, report on what looks like uh, game strategy. That just we're not doing that. Uh, you're not allowed the video. Uh, you know, 11 men, you know, formations and the kind of thing that somebody could grab and and uh, you know maybe put together a collection of those. Uh, you know, for for their their kids to watch, especially for the opener. Uh, we're allowed to. You know, if if Clay will talk about it, then it's certainly reportable. Uh, I think we've been pretty good. I mean, I think in all the time, I, in what I'm, I'm trying to think now, what, uh, 15th season maybe? I think one time someone who wasn't used to reporting on the team reported on, uh, you know, they were going to break out the shotgun from Notre Dame or whatever that some, that they saw at like the Thursday practice or whatever. And, uh, I, I think that may be the only time that's ever happened here. And of course, it sent uh, um, uh, lane into a real tiff. I mean, it was, oh my goodness. It was, and that was when, you know, for USC to actually use the shotgun was like considered 
revolutionary beyond belief. You know, it was like, wow, how could they? USC and the shotgun, that's the most, and of course, they didn't run it because of that, which was another, uh, you know, kind of wacky decision. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the thing is, Alabama certainly has someone monitoring everything about USC. Uh, you get to the point, I think, of, of diminishing returns, though. If you would try to, for example, print out all my game notes, or all my uh, ghost notes for the fall camp, print it out, and hand it to the Alabama players. What do you think they're going to do with it? That's a longer book. Okay, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but that would be a longer book. I mean, th- there's no way. I mean, you know, uh, to, to get through all that. So there, there's almost a way of saying um, it hurts them if you give them so many things they have to prepare for. You know, I mean, and to be honest, these things change. I mean, three days ago, four days ago, You'd have been, if you were Alabama's uh, special teams coach, you'd be saying, you know, boys, uh, don't get too deep. They're, they're kicking that thing 35 yards max. And then the last two days, uh, you know, Chris Toby's kicking it, you know, 60, 65 yards. It's like, you know, I mean, so, uh, I think we're pretty good at knowing what we can say about what they're doing and what we can't say. I mean, if you say they're doing run-heavy stuff and they're really going to, you know, run it here, run it here, run it here, um, you make Alabama, you know, prepare for that. And 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 maybe they won't do that. You know, they may decide, you know, I'm certain the game plan for Alabama is not even close to, you know, being written. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, it's not like uh, they're stealing the pitch signals from the center field scoreboard, you know, where you may be. <laughs> and even then, you know, there are major league guys who say, I don't want to know what's coming. That, that, you know, that throws me off. I want to just hit like I always hit. I don't want to, you know. So so I think there are a lot of different theories. I think we kind of hit it pretty well in terms of USC. If we tried to do this at Alabama, we'd all be in jail. I mean, if you show up with a camera in the block, you know, where the Alabama football complex is during practice, uh, your next step might be the Tuscaloosa jail. Uh, so, you know, uh, especially if you don't have a press credential. So it's a different world. Yeah, they would not be able to and wouldn't take kindly to this kind of coverage. Uh, but, uh, you know, everybody's, you know, in their own place. And it, it certainly didn't hurt, you know, basically when, when Pete was here, and you got those great years and that 30, however, 34 game win streak and all that. ESPN essentially had a, a, uh, Howard Jones Field Bureau. I mean, they basically were broadcasting from there every single day. And you didn't notice that it, that it caused USC a great deal of problems. Yeah. Uh, Reggie goes on. He said, my final point is that hopefully going forward, you and particularly Dan won't overreact to what you see at practice, good or bad. Everyone has an opinion, and who cares if Dan doesn't like the play calling? Well, our, our members care. That's what they pay us to, to talk about. But anyway, I, he says. I will say this. I will say this to Reggie. I I absolutely work hard at not overreacting. I mean, I try hard to underplay because I know people will overreact. But at, I, I always keep in mind that the thing that keeps me from overreacting is I know what I don't know. I didn't know what the play call was. I didn't know 
who you know what the responsibility of every single guy on that particular play. So you don't want to overreact to you know was it a fault in the call? Was it a fault in the execution? You know, on the offense or the defense or which guy? There are so many things we don't know that it's hard. Um, you know, I will not overreact. Now, if they have a, a number of days where the punter's kicking the ball 35 yards, I might, after a bit, tell you this doesn't look so good. You know, this looks like you know there might be some issues here. There might not be much slip in the field. And then you come out, and all of a sudden they've had a come to you know what meeting, and things have changed. So, uh, you know, but overreacting is something I, I really, really, really try not to do because I know the natural tendency is for, you know, I don't need to fan the, the flames. Uh, we got enough overreactors without me, you know, being a part of that. Yeah. And Reggie, we're not, you know, the reason you wrote in is because you're listening to us and you're, 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 you know, we're out there every day. We're giving you our opinion. Not that it's always right or wrong or whatever. We're observing. We're talking to people. We're talking to sources. And that's what our job is. So we're, we're going to give you our opinion. That's what people like. And that's what we'll continue to do. Um, a few more. Gary in Seattle. I thought the new plan for the Coliseum renovation in the war room was infinitely better than the current plan. Uh, he's a mention of the war room. You got to check those out on Friday. Uh, and exactly what folks have been begging for all along. It just makes sense on all levels, financially, aesthetically, minimal loss of seats, et cetera, and is a plan that most would support. Is there going to be a formal propo proposal or draft brought forth that people can rally behind? I know the chances are slim, but it's definitely worth a try, and I feel that a more unified and organized effort by the alumni and fans would be more effective in bringing the decision makers back to the table. Thanks for all your efforts in this. And as always fight on Gary in Seattle. Hey, um, Gary, thanks so much. And thanks for paying attention to the war room last week. Yeah. I thought that was a really good plan. Mostly, uh, it's my plan <laughs> and I've been thinking about it a lot and talking to a lot of people and it didn't kind of get the reaction I was hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, and Listen. some of that was because I guess everybody was disappointed that, uh, we didn't have Gerard's recruiting stuff in their war room. So it was like, Hey, what, you know, what's going on here? I thought that was important. I think there is a chance, uh, <clears throat> the mechanism for doing that and for, for getting that to people. Uh, I'm not, a, what, what I think it's hard to find out sometimes at USC is where is this decision going to be made? Uh, we got the sense that it was made way above athletics and are not sure how much, uh, you know, uh, input athletics had on it. They're doing a great job in terms of convincing people, you know, to be founders and to underwrite it financially. I mean, a terrific job, uh, quietly. And that's what I've tried to, to, uh, to write about and talking about, you know, you do need to renovate. You do need to finance this whole thing. You do need to do a whole lot of things uh, to make the Coliseum really, you know, the kind of building it ought to, it deserves to be going into its second century. Uh, the plan they have now is a really flawed plan. I mean, they should have, as soon as the architects came back and said, well, here's the plan for $270 million, uh, we take out 9,500 sideline seats. And you should have said at that point, someone at USC should have said, stop right there. We all have enough good sideline seats to begin with in, in what is a big track oval, and we can't afford to do that. 
start over, come back with a different plan. I think the success they've had with, you know, uh, getting people to sign up for those founder suites at $10 million a piece, maybe, you know, gets them to rethink. Uh, I think they'd like to rethink. I don't think they want to have to call those 9,500 seat holders and tell them you're out of there and then move them to seats and then tell those people you're out of there. Uh, they don't need that. Uh, so I think, you know, there's a way to do this that makes a lot of sense. It keeps the capacity at maybe 85,000 that finishes the field, gives you some standing room in the peristyle end. This does a lot of things that, uh, that this current plan doesn't do. And it's not that big eyesore of a building that, that's totally architecturally not in, you know, sync with the rest of the Coliseum. So, you know, let's just, we're feeling our way as to how, how this can be done. There's a new athletic director. He's asking a lot of questions, but uh, nobody has a really good feel as to, you know, what kind of input is coming, you know, through, you know, to Lynn. And is, you know, is that one of the ways to, to make this happen? Uh, a lot of questions in terms, I mean, people right now still don't seem to know exactly how the plan that's in place right now got in place. Who made that call? How did, how did that exactly happen? I talked to the architects and, you know, there were a lot of different input, you know, why did they listen to the historical conservancy people as much as they did? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, thanks for your good words. And, uh, yeah, it's not something that people are forgetting about because they've done a great job financially with the redesign. Now they've got to do the same kind of job with the new plan. And, uh, and it's no, they've got plenty of time. They've got a year and a half and it would be so much easier to do the plan we're talking about construction wise. And maybe not, you know, take out seats for the uh, 2018 season. I think, you know, the plan we're talking about does so little structural damage to the Coliseum. And in two projects where you've got one on the field and one, you know, kind of at the press box level uh, and below, but not a lot below, um, I think there are ways to do that, you know, that would be not even as expensive as what they're planning now and uh, much more productive. So. Uh, why don't you, uh, uh, I would say the more people that contact the president's office, the more people, you know, that, that contact Lynn Swan about this, the better, you know, the better chance, uh, we have of saving the Coliseum kind of the way, uh, and preserving it at the Coliseum and, and making it available to as many people as, as we can make available. I, I think it's for instance, you know, people are saying, oh, 77, five, how many crowds do we have above that? I thought it was interesting. The Rams didn't stop at 77.5. They sold 91,000 uh, for that first game. Yeah. So uh, people, you know, if you've got 91,000, and, and I'm, my guess is those people were all happy they were there for the first, you know, Rams football game back in L.A. all those years. And so if, uh, as we, do, you know, documented, uh, the last five years haven't been great years for USC with all the issues involved. They still had 14 crowds bigger than 77,500. So I just think it's it's not realistic to say, oh yeah, we can handle that, and then we don't need any more than that. Uh, yeah. And I think they know that now. Now we got to figure out a way to move them back to a, an, another plan that makes a lot more sense. 
Yeah, if you took sorry us... to go along so or go go on so much, but I really am passionate about that coliseum. Yeah, yeah, it's not like they took out ten thousand seats in the end zone where no one would care. Like these are seats that people care about. So that's uh, and you're trying to make a better game day experience. If you want someone to not stay on the couch and watch their HD TV, they're more likely to do that if they're sitting at the thirty yard line as opposed to some corner of the end zone somewhere. Yeah, or if they're moved over to the sun side, you know, feel although. I mean, I guess that's almost an archaic way to look at things because they play so few uh, few day games anymore <laughs> that uh, maybe there is no sun side of the field, although they're going to have an 11.30 kickoff this year, for God's sake, yeah. uh, against Utah State. So uh, 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 you just never know. But, uh, yeah, they do not need the issues of moving people who've had those tickets for 40 years and telling them your seats are gone. Uh, you just No. I mean, the other big programs in the country – that have redone their stadium have added and have figured out other ways, but they haven't taken out good seats. Nobody does that. Yeah. It's, that's crazy. I mean, it really, I mean, that when you first saw the plan, you said, this is nuts. You can't take out your good seats. Makes no sense. Uh, okay. We'll try to get that. We're already over an hour, but we'll try to get these last few in quickly. Chris, uh, says Ryan and the USC podcast. I can't thank you enough for your tremendous USC football coverage. You guys are the best in the business. Thank you, Chris. Uh, the question's for Dan. How is Coach Helton and his staff's approach physically different than Pete Carroll and his staff? Uh, were players such as Matt Grudegood, Brian Cushing, Kevin Ellison, or even Mike Patterson directly taught the techniques of proper angle tackling, pursuit to the ball, or point of contact, etc.? Thanks, Dan and Ryan. Fight on from Chris. You know, I don't know that it was to the point where it is now with Pete and the way they teach it in Seattle. I mean, I think there's much more emphasis on getting the head out of the way and, uh, and the safety part of it. I think there's just, you know, so much more of an awareness of all of that. I think, you know, Pete, they just got them moving and they got them competing and they got them going after, you know, the ball. And I think a lot of that just happened naturally. I, I will say this. If you get a chance, one thing you, you really want to do, and it, it's a wonderful investment of three or four minutes of your time, is go look at the 2000, go to YouTube and call up the 2003 USC Auburn opener. It's breathtaking watching those USC defenders go after those really good football players that were, you know, Auburn have. All those guys that went on to the NFL. I mean, they didn't let them in the game. They went after them. And it wasn't so much, you know, they're just, you know, pile driving them and all that it's just the, the way they went after people uh you almost have forgotten that but uh but take a look at that it, it just seemed to be a natural product of the way you know pete taught it the way they uh, they competed in practice the way they work with one another the offense against the defense um it, it just seemed to be and i still remember tommy coverville and i told this story a thousand times i was down there on friday night a block from the uh, Auburn Stadium, uh, and I was doing this kind of color SEC story, and there was a guy that has a orange and blue bus that he parked right at the corner a, a block from the stadium, and he'd been doing it for 20 years, and I just it was really interesting to talk to him about all the things he'd seen and whatever, but he didn't tell me after Auburn's practice on Friday that Tuberville would stop there kind of for good luck and talk to this guy. So I'm standing there, and here comes the Alabama State Trooper car with Tommy Tuberville in it on his way home. And he pulls up on the curb, 
And Tuberville gets out. He has no idea I'm covering USC or anything. And he tells and this guy says, and, and there were people uh, who had Auburn pick number one. Uh, I think Sporting News had them as their number one preseason team. And, and they, you know, really good team. And this guy says, Coach, this is the year. We got them. We're going all the way. Da, da, da. And Tuberville started shaking his head. And he said, I don't know. He said, he said, we've tried everything we can think of in fall camp. We can't get our players to play as fast as that USC defense is going to play. They're going to play. They're just, they're, they're too fast. And we can't get up to that speed. And he was, he couldn't have been more right. I mean, that 23 nothing game, USC basically didn't let him across the 50 and was playing way too fast. And it wasn't that they were just, killing them or they were just way too physical they got the angles on them the pursuit and they went with a ferocity that was was just breathtaking and 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 i think that's how you want to see a team play you don't have to you know helmet up you know right through their you know chest and all that kind of stuff you, you just you don't have to do any of that but you can really get after you know really quick and with everybody you got and uh and run to the ball and being in better shape. And, um, and so I, I think that is kind of what Pete did. And now I think they've refined it with the whole rugby tackling, you know, the science and the video. I know he's got a, like a 22, 23 minute video on teaching it. And then Rocky Cito, the former USC coach and player is a big part of that. So, uh, uh, but, uh, I think it was kind of a natural, you know, outgrowth of just how USC played. Uh, Jamal wrote in, he said a brief statement, watching the uh, Chargers-Titans game Saturday, it was fun seeing former USC defender J.R. Tavai. He did the Trojans proud. He had a nice sack on a blitz playing outside linebacker, and he played defensive tackle, defensive end in college. It's a testament to the kind of versatile athletes recruited at USC over the years, uh, or it might be that they were so thin that they had to have an outside linebacker play defensive tackle. But anyway, <laughs> even, even saw George Farmer now getting snaps at running back. For the Seahawks, I did not see that. That's interesting. Thanks for all the in-depth coverage, Jamal. Yeah, no, it is neat to see. I mean, USC, certainly in the, the last number of years, has been forced to try to be as versatile as you could be, uh, you know, with guys. And, yeah, JR was here once in the toward the end of the summer, and he is really happy with the situation he, you know, found himself in with, you know, with Tennessee. And, you know, a lot of what he did at USC, I think, prepared him you know, to be able to be that kind of hybrid sort of a guy that, you know, kind of a defensive end, outside linebacker. And uh wasn't always that easy for him making that, you know, transition. And then you get George Farmer, and I think, uh, if I read it correctly, that the uh, Seahawks uh, maybe, uh you know, dropped, uh, I guess they let Trey Madden go, but decided to keep uh George Farmer in the mix at running back. So, and you know, Pete was probably – pretty infatuated uh, over the years with uh, George's talent and thinking with his body and his speed, maybe they're, you know, maybe this is the place to go and it might be interesting. Well, I know we had, there was some controversy uh, when George got a chance a couple of times, right, Ryan, in the, was it the Cal game uh, when he was maybe a sophomore or freshman? I think he so. Got a yeah, I think to, you're right. Huh? I think so. I think it was then, maybe like sophomore year or something. Yeah, and he got a chance to carry the ball a couple of times, and you know everything about George seemed to just draw, you know, controversy. You know, what do you do with this guy and all that? But uh, 
wouldn't that be neat if he uh, if he made it? That would be uh, that'd be uh, that'd be great. I'd love to see that. You know, he, he was a good good guy, and he hung in there. And it wasn't a, always a fair situation that you know he was. All those other guys from Sarah were just you know setting the world on fire, and, um, and Georgia's skill set didn't always match up exactly with uh, maybe what they needed. But uh, that'd be great if he could. Uh, uh, you know, you got to root for the, you got to root for him uh, to, to to be one of those guys whose uh, NFL career uh, far uh, you know outdoes his uh, college career. We got one last one. Bill, uh, he said, I'll be at the Alabama game. Got the thinking. What is the USCfootball.com staff game day schedule like, and how does it differ between home and away games, inquiring minds? And uh, I'll start first, but it's kind of different for all of us. But I usually try to the home games. I'm usually at the Coliseum, you know, three hours before. I like to get up in the press box and just kind of get situated and, Sometimes I'll meet, like, if uh, friends are having a tailgate on campus, maybe I'll stop by, um, walk around a little bit. I'll come early for that. But usually, you know, get into the Coliseum press box early and kind of go from there. Maybe you talk about what you do, Bill. Yeah, I'm not I'm not very good at uh, tailgating or doing it. I, I'm so, you know, thinking about the game that I'm probably not very good at, uh, you know, chit-chatting and all that and, uh, uh, you know, before before the home games. On the road games, I mean, we used to have this schedule, you know, and we'll go back to the Pete years where they did the walkthrough and all of the stuff at the stadium. So that got you kind of used to where you were playing and, uh, you know, where the press box was. And, and you did get to talk to, to Pete. You got to see the players. Uh, so you got a, you got a sense of that. Since they've kind of gone with the NFL model, uh, and they're not doing that or since the, uh, you know, compliance won't let us cover it. Even if they do have one, they're going to have a, you know, walkthrough on, uh, Friday at, uh, Cowboy Stadium, which, and I guess Alabama is too. And I guess the big downside of that is you have to, you know, Cowboy Stadium does a big business in tour groups and, uh, they have to close down the, uh, uh, Cowboy Stadium for at least, uh, two periods for Alabama to, you know, have their walkthrough and USC to have theirs. I think, uh, Ryan and I, we've been talking about, uh, there's a, uh, USC alumni, uh, group doing a tour on Friday afternoon. I think I might, and I have not been to, um, you know, AT&T Stadium. So, uh, to kind of get a familiarity with the place, uh, it's, it's one of those places that's probably hard to show up just right day, game day and just get a real sense of, of the place and how that's going to play in, uh, you know, USC is the first time there. Now, I know the uh, Clay and a number of USC people were down there, you know, in in uh, in the summer, and they realized, wow, this is something you got to get used to. And so, uh, so they're going to be there on Friday. But uh, so I think uh, I, I'm probably going to do that in order to kind of have a sense of uh, how this all fits in. If you're an Alabama person, they're kind of used to playing there. You know, they op- opened the season last year there, and they've been there in the playoffs and all that. So. Not as much a big deal for them, but a, a pretty big deal for USC. So, uh, so we'll try to get you a, a, a sense of that, uh, of that place. The one other place like that this year, I think is Washington. We haven't been to the new Husky yeah. stadium and we're looking forward to that and, and how that changes things. The last time they played at, uh, oh gosh, I can't even think of the name of the, uh, the football stadium there, um, uh, named after some internet company, uh, but uh, uh, so 
that would be one of the one of the places that, that USC is going there that you'd feel like you'd like to you'd get a real sense of uh, of what what it's like now. I know they tried to make it look pretty much like and feel like the old Husky Stadium, but uh, I'd like to see that would be the one I think of, of this year where you'd like to get a get a look at it the day before. Wouldn't be surprised if they don't go up uh, for that game the day before. All right. Well, I think we might have set a record for questions answered on the Peristyle podcast. Awesome. Awesome job, Dan. It was a whole slew of questions. We got to all of them. Good questions. Thank you. Thank you, guys, as always. Really yeah. good questions. Well, thanks, Dan. Thanks, uh, thanks to Dan Weber, and thanks for everyone for sending in all of your questions. Uh, this is the Peristyle podcast. We'll be back again next week. Uh, we'll know who the starting quarterback is and all of that uh, over the weekend. So check out the site, uscfootball.com. We'll put up videos, photos, and all kinds of stuff from everything going on USC football. So thanks again for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 